0: I want us to get right into our word this morning. I really believe this is a very, very strategic message for where we are in 2024. My message title, we're in a series, Creatures of Habit. And we're talking about changing some old habits to, for some new habits. And today we're gonna to talk about letting, let it go. Not the frozen let it go. We're gonna talk about let it go. Just, just getting rid of past things, uh, moving past things. And, and I think it's a word that, that is timely, and, uh, and, and hopefully, we've got a lot of folks tuned in today to hear it because it will revolutionize your life, I promise you. Exodus chapter 13, beginning verse number 17, says, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Let us, let's, per, let's perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of land of Egypt. Let's read that again. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. May the Lord add His blessing to His word this morning. We're gonna, This morning, we're going to, as we continue on, and again, this will be a short series. It'll only be maybe a couple more weeks. But we're talking about habits that, uh, I, I mentioned this last week, that we have a lot of people that shift from one year to the other, and they carry the same, they carry the same bondage. They carry the same, the same quagmire, uh, uh, muck from one year to the other. And part of the reason is they're just stuck. They're just stuck. And, and it, uh, listen, I've always heard it said, if you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. And, and I think most of us would probably agree with that assessment. In fact, insanity is defined as doing the same thing the same way and expect different results. If, if we want something to change, then we have to change. It's, it's pretty simple. And so this morning, I want us to look at a, ba- at a bad habit actually. That most people struggle with. And I would just imagine I'll just say this, I'll make an assumption that everybody here this morning and those that are tuned in online this morning have situations in our past that we would rather not remember. Is that a true statement? That we have things in the past, we have things that we've done, we've had things that we didn't do, we've had things that we said, we have a past that that we would rather not remember. I know I can look back over my 58 years, and I'll be honest with you. I've done some really boneheaded things in my 58 years of life. I know that's shocking to you. Uh, well, that's not that funny. <laughs> I, I've, done some, I've done some boneheaded things in my 58 years, and I, I've been very transparent uh, in, in my time as pastor here. I, I did that intentionally because I want people to know I hurt too. I struggle. I, 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 you know, sometimes we we're not careful, we put our spiritual leaders up on a pedestal and think somehow they never go through trials and tribulations. And, and, and I'll tell you what, I, I've never met one. And I am not one. I hurt, I struggle, I get frustrated, I run my mouth too much. You know, I do all those things. And so I've been very transparent in my life and the story of my life, the struggles I've had. But there are some things that I will never share with anybody. Anybody else relate to that. There are some things in my past that I will never tell anybody. I'll never share with anybody. uh, And here's the thing. The issue with our past is this. It has a hard time of letting go. That's the issue. The the problem with our past is that it's the past, but it has a hard time of letting go. It's kind of like the old saying that you you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy sometimes we can move on from the person we used to be but that person doesn't give up easy doesn't give up you know we can talk about changing the the calendar and flipping the page and writing a different chapter getting out of one chapter into another but the person that we used to be is not giving up so easy That's what, even Paul himself struggled with that same thing. He said, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I end up doing. It's that constant struggle that we have, and I think one of the things that has locked people in that muck of life is that we, is that that old man still has a, has a hold on our, on our, on our britches, and it just doesn't want to let us go, and so we struggle with that. Our, our text this morning, it's an interesting story, and I think it's a, there's a, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of types, typology, if you understand that terminology. There's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between what was going on at the time of our text and where we are in 2024. In our text, it takes place when the children of Israel had finally achieved their long awaited dream of being free. Now you have to understand that for 430 years, the children of Israel had been captive. They were lived in servitude. They were in bondage to Egypt and, and so one generation led, led, went to another and to another and to another, and all of a sudden, 430 years. And here's the thing, what began as a blessing under Joseph, 430 years later, was a nightmare for the children of Israel. You, you do know that they went to Israel, I mean, excuse me, they went to Egypt on purpose. You go back and read that story, they, Joseph uh, was used by God to, the, remember he said to his brothers, he said, hey, You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good to the saving of many. What was the saving of many? Well, during a time of famine, Joseph and his family moved in, was given some property, a place in Egypt because of his wisdom and favor with Pharaoh, and God prospered them and blessed them. But what happened was, 430 years later, that blessing turned into a curse, and they now were in bondage. And every generation was born. that was born had the hope of deliverance because they'd heard about the promised land, okay? That, that was their hope. They'd heard about the promised land. And so generations came, generations went. Grandparents and parents would talk about the hope of deliverance. And, and, and again, each generation would have that taught to them that one day God's going to deliver them. One day God's going to take them from the land of, of not enough and move them into the land of more than enough. A land of, of scarcity, a land of, of not enough, but a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and I would imagine that, that those stories were passed on, but after a few generations, and again, I want you to see there's a lot of parallels, because most of us here have probably heard at least one message, or at least somebody say that Jesus, how many ever heard that Jesus is coming? i'm 58 years old and from my earliest memories that's the message that i can remember it wasn't about and i'm not knocking this it wasn't about uh you know the christian life type thing and and those were messages but the one i remember was that jesus was coming in fact my dad preached that message to me every day of my life he never preached any other message and boy you better be ready because jesus is coming so, so I'm, you think about it, my, my children heard it, so my, my dad told me, boy, Jesus is coming. I told my kids, Jesus is coming. Now they're telling their kids, Jesus is coming, so you can see what's going on. And again, I think that we can relate to what's going on here. From one generation to another to another, we hear the hope of something better. But every generation, one comes and one goes and one comes and one goes, and you know what? It's still a distance thing. You know, the Bible says in the, back, in the last day there would be scoffers that would, uh, would arise in the last days and say, hey, where's the proof of His coming? I would tell you that there are generations, and that's why it's so important. I, I mentioned this in the early service this morning, but I would venture to say that in many churches in, West, in Western culture, the hope of the, of the return of Christ is not talked about near enough. The message of the return of Christ is not a message that we hear. We we have churches that are filled and pulpits that are filled with self-help messages, tells me how to be better, how to get more, how to do this, when the message of the the early church was Jesus is coming. And because he's coming, there are lost people that need to hear the message. But what happened is, because generations have come and generations have gone, just like here, they they lost all hope of that. In fact, even in my generation, you've heard me say this before. But when my when my children were small, I loved being a dad. I, I really did. I really loved being. I still love being a dad, and I love now being a granddad. Oh my goodness! Let me show you something. No, I'm just. <laughs> I I love I love being a granddad. There's a point to that. Oh yeah, here's the point. <laughs> I, I love being a granddad and I love being a father and I can remember when my daughter was born and then my son was born I used to pray Lord please don't come back you know first when I got first it was Lord don't come back till I get married some of you prayed the same prayer I see that <laughs> Lord don't come back until I get married so I got married then I prayed Lord don't come back till we have children and we had two and then, then the prayer changed for a little while Lord come anytime <laughs> you, you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it was, Lord, yeah, so, so the hope of return, even in my generation, I would say, Lord, just kind of hang off a little bit. So imagine from one generation to another to another, uh, you keep hearing about this place of uh, flowing with milk and honey, and you keep hearing about the promised land, and, and, and it doesn't happen. And so grandma and grandpa pass on, and then mom and dad pass on, and, and, and so down the generations go, and now they're, they're there, and I'm sure I'm sure that after a few generations, any real hope, had long faded. And what remained of those stories was just simply memories of the good old days. And I love the story how Moses, how God raised up a deliverer at just the right time. When Moses came on the scene, uh, for most of the Jews, their faith had waned. Again, they saw the graveyard, all those promises. I would imagine that the talk of the promised land had ceased and that any hope had faded. But hear me, God had a plan, and God had a man. That's important. All the, at at the time of our text, the plagues were already, so think about it. At the time of our text, okay, the plagues had devastated Egypt. God unleashed ten plagues upon that land. the final one, the final one being the death angel, had come through the camp and and had taken, uh, killed the firstborn uh, of, of, of the nation there. And Pharaoh now was more than happy to let the people go. Ten times Moses went to him and said, the Lord said, let my people go. Ten times he rebelled and hardened his heart. And now finally he's at that place where he's like, you know what, just get out. Just just leave, you're a menace. And the Bible says not only did he send send them out, the Bible says that he emptied the treasury to say, get out of Dodge. So they left Egypt. Not as paupers, but they left Egypt with the surplus. They they went out and they were blessed. Now imagine yourself. How many of you have ever been so excited about something you couldn't sleep? It's like you tell tell your your child that you're going to take them somewhere. (coughs) How many know the night before they won't sleep a wink? Why? Because they're excited. Maybe, maybe you get excited too. You, you're going to go somewhere and you just get really excited. So, so now put yourself in their place. For 430 years, there'd been stories about this promised land. And now all of a sudden, there's a, there's a surge of, of excitement and anticipation. This word, the grapevine, has been active for a long time. And so now all of a sudden, through the grapevine, people are, you know, they heard it through the grapevine and they're hearing that, that Pharaoh had relented and now they can go. And it circulated around. Imagine the excitement and the, the the thrill. You know, you, all of a sudden, you went back to the stories that you used to hear about, this land flowing with milk and honey. They lived in a land of not enough, a land of bondage, a land of servitude, but they were promised to go to a place of more than enough. So just imagine the excitement. Man, they, all of a sudden, they're the ones, they're actually packing up, and they're actually going to be the ones that will Go into the promised land. Imagine how excited it must have been to be there that day. But here's what the Bible says. It says that when God released them, when Pharaoh said, finally, let them go, it says in our text that God, so, so what's the shortest distance between two points? Straight line. I mean, logic, we think a straight line, unless you're flying. And then especially if you're going to Europe, you don't do a straight line. You go, you go over the poles. So the Bible says that when God let them go, did you see where it says He led them basically the long way around? Why is that? I mean, you know, you would think, I mean, as a parent, when our kids get excited about something, we're ready. I mean, part of the joy of being a parent is watching kids experience things. I love watching my children's First experiences at anything, whatever they did. I love seeing my grandkids and their first encounters or experiences. I the the, the, the wonder of their eyes as that pops open, and you can you know the wheels are turning, and they're just they're just overwhelmed. So why would God lead them the long way around? Surely He knew how excited they were to get to the Promised Land. So so why not take the quickest route? Why not go from point A to point B? Why did God take the long way to get them to Egypt? Here's the answer the answer is this the promised land was ready for them, but they were not ready for the promised land. And that's an important truth to hear because we've got people today that are bailing out in Christendom, bailing out on their faith because they hold on to a promise and they don't understand that from the from the realization or manifestation of the promise, there is a a waiting time from the birth of the promise to the manifestation of the promise. Because the promise is there, it's ready for us, but we're not often ready for the promise. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I really believe this is where many people find themselves in 2024. There there are promises yet to be realized, but often the promise, as I said, is ready for us, but we're not ready for the promise. We're not positioned to receive what God wants us to receive. You know, we all, every one of us here has a spiritual Egypt. It is that place where we feel encumbered. It is that place where we feel shackled, we feel bound. And no matter how hard we try, we are unable to break free. It's that place of being stuck. Consequently, here's what happened. One year rolls into another year, into another year, and pretty soon one year turns to a decade, a decade turns to another decade, and then pretty soon you wake up, look up, and you're half a century old. And you think, wow, what happened? What happened? Tackling the new year, listen, church, will require us to get out of Egypt and let some things go. Most people today, they, in, in Western culture, they walk, they walk their spiritual journey like this. Their destiny's here, but their eyes are back here. See, we keep looking at what God uh, has done. We don't look at what God is doing and will do. And if we're going to inherit the the promise, we've got to let it go. That means the good, the bad, the ugly, we've got to let it go and we've got to adjust. Because, listen, the winds blew at a time and our sails were adjusted where they needed to be. But God's doing a new thing and there's new winds blowing. God, the winds of yesterday don't bla- blow today. Today, it's a new wind, and tomorrow, it'll be another wind. And if I don't adjust my sails, then I'm going to try to do tomorrow what I did with yesterday's wind, and it's not going to work. And so, we're, we're headed this way, but we're looking this way, and I'm saying, we've got to let some things go. We've got we've to cut it off and say, look, we've got to change. See, oftentimes God will do for us the exact same thing He did for Israel. He will take us the long way through our deep, dark valleys of life. Why? Because there are lessons we learn in the wilderness we cannot learn anywhere else. That, that's just a simple truth. There are things that you and I learn in the middle of the... And, and again, I, I'm not advocating for, you know, advocating for the wilderness because I don't like them. I, I don't like them but there are lessons we learn there we cannot learn anywhere else you see too many people today want the promised land but they don't want to leave their Egypt right and you know that's that's the that's the situation with with Israel you know even I mean they hadn't even got out too far into the wilderness and already what are they doing they're fussing and griping and moaning and groaning about everything we've got to sever those ties. To embrace God's destiny, we have to get out of Egypt. We have to stop playing both sides against the middle and declare our allegiance. Listen, the sad—the the, the reality is not sad reality. Just the reality is God may God might be leading you into a wilderness this year. But if He does, there's a purpose that you've got to understand. That you may have wilderness experiences this year, but there is a purpose behind it. I know I can already hear the, the resistance. Well, Pastor, I, I just don't like the wilderness. Agreed. Hey, I did I did desert warfare training. I don't like the desert. It's hot. It's cold. It's dusty, sticky. There's little creep, creepy creatures that crawl around. Things that go bump in the night. My first time out at Death Valley, I did I did. Uh, desert training at Death Valley, California. First time I went out there, I was a 19-year-old uh, Air Force guy, and we get sent out to Death Valley, and we're doing our training. And I remember one night I'd thrown, I'd set up my cot out in the middle of the of the wilderness, out in the middle of Death Valley, and had a guy. There's a couple other guys there with us, and we got our Hummers set off to the side, and I'm laying down, and they're they're wanting to. They call it hazing nowadays. The back that back in the day they didn't call it hazing. They just They just messed with you. So I'm getting ready to get in my sleeping bag. And one of the guys I'm with, he said, hey, he said, "Uh, don't leave any type of contraband out of its wrappers, out of your stuff. He said, because there are things out here that will come up in the middle of the night and help themselves. And I'm like, oh, you're just, you know, I'm the newbie. You're pulling my leg. And he said, no. So they gave me some night vision goggles. Worst thing they'd ever done. Because I put those night vision goggles on, and there were coyotes that had circled just outside of the natural view of our eyes, night vision eyes, had circled that whole place and were just standing, just standing there, I kid you not, all around us. I got a little bit nervous. I said, what in the world are they doing? He said, they're waiting for you to go to sleep. well, why would you tell somebody that's about to go to sleep? They're waiting for you to go to sleep. <laughs> and I said, what are they going to do when I go to sleep? He said, they'll sneak up in here and they'll look for anything that you have dropped. Food, things like that. Guess who didn't sleep that night? <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, I don't like the wilderness, uh, but It's necessary. It's necessary. If we're going to inherit the promised land, the wilderness is a fearful place, nothing but barren hills, deep valleys, sunbaked dirt, Sun beats down mercilessly during the day and at night it gets really cold. That was an odd thing for me because in the daytime it'd be in the eighties, again, Death Valley, sometimes, uh, you know, in February, January, February, but but at night it dropped down to zero. That's a big swing and temperature change, cold, dangerous. Few people can survive very long in the wilderness, but if we want to make it to our promised land, we have to leave Egypt and let some things go. And every one of us will go through some desert times to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. See, the children of Israel discovered that the wilderness was a very tough place to be, and for us it's no different. So let me give you three things real quick this morning about the wilderness. Number one, the wilderness is solitary, okay? Everybody know what that word means. It's solitary. By definition, the wilderness is a lonely place. It's a lonely place no matter no matter where you turn, where you walk, it all looks the same. I mean you climb over one hill and you know what? All you see is more of the same. No matter where you turn. In fact, I can remember sometimes during the day out there, you they have spiders. another thing, and I don't you know, I don't like spiders. They have spiders about that big and most of them are black, and you juxtapose them against the brown sand, you can see them like a half a mile down the road. I, mean, I can remember driving, down, uh, driving with our, our vehicles down the road, and I'm looking, and I'm like, what's that in the street? And the guy's like, well, that's a spider. I'm like, yeah, right. And we get up there, no kidding, it's a spider. I don't do spiders. <laughs> I don't like spiders. It's a lonely place. It's all the same. You know, you you can actually be with people. In fact, think about it spiritually. We can all be gathered here. You could be going through a wilderness right now, and even though we're surrounded by people, you can feel lonelier than you've ever been in your life. It's a solitary place, abandoned, forgotten, discarded. Every one of us has been there. I mean, think about it, waiting for that new job interview, hoping for... Um, Good news from the doctor, watching our money run out, worrying about our children, trying to forgive and repair a broken relationship, feeling stuck in the mud and wondering if life will ever change, trying to rebuild our shattered dreams. We've all been in that place. It's a, it's a place from, from the birth of a dream to the manifestation of a dream. It's that waiting period. It's that in-between time that we get so uncomfortable. Most people, most people want to bail out and say, well, I guess I was wrong. And they don't stay put. See, that's what the wilderness is like. It's, all, it's lonely, it's isolated, and it reveals a whole lot about us. You see, for the children of Israel, they had grown up in servitude. So what does that mean? It means that everything that they needed, they didn't have to, they didn't have to worry about because it was all provided. But Remember when they fussed? What, did they, what was the first thing they said? Would to God we've been back in Egypt. At least there we had... Melons and leeks and onions and whatever. I mean, they, that, that was it. They, so the problem is, they trusted Egypt. But where they were going was the promised land, and they needed to trust God. And the only place they could go to where they learned to trust God was in the wilderness. It's the same for us. It's the same thing for us. The wilderness is that place where we learn to trust God. I joked about this in the early service, and I don't mean anything by it other than the fact people say, well, Pastor, why don't we see more miracles today? Why don't we see the, the Acts chapter 2 and 4? and Why don't we see that kind of stuff? We have all Walgreens. And I'm not knocking medicine. Please, do not read between the lines. When I was in Cuba, the first time I went down to Cuba, they, were, they, they talked about incredible miracles that are the norm of their church services. Well, you know why? Because down there, they don't have options. They don't have options. They don't have, they don't have a, oh, they, they have clinics, but they don't have no doctors. They have pharmacies, but they don't have any drugs. I told them I, this morning I felt like a drug dealer because last few times I went down, I carried a, a, a suitcase full of drugs, uh, over-the-counter stuff down there so they could have stuff but see do you understand what i'm saying they down there jesus is the only hope jehovah Rapha is the one they trust and have hope in but we don't need that because we've got stuff to alleviate our pain again i don't read between the lines some of you look at me like are you telling me it's wrong to take medicine no i'm not i take it every day i'm just trying to illustrate a point God was trying to teach them that he's trustworthy. God was trying to teach them that for 430 years you relied on Egypt to bring you hay and to bring you mud and to bring you leeks and melons and onions and you you relied on them to supply all that you needed to do what they were making you do but I'm taking you to a place where I need to be your provider. I need to be your Jehovah Jireh. I need to be your Jehovah Rapha. I need to be your Jehovah Shalom and you need to learn that you can trust me. That's what our wildernesses are all about. God gives us a dream. He has the manifestation of that dream already there, but He's got to prepare us to get it. That's what the wilderness is all about. It's a fearful place to be in the wilderness, but that leads to the second point. It's a necessary place. It's a necessary place. You know, while the wilderness is a lonely place, it's a necessary place. There's an interesting corollary to this story found in Psalm 78. You can read it later. But it, but, but, it, but it correlates with what's going on at this moment. And I'll just tell you this. At this particular time, as they are moving from where, God, where they were to where God wanted them to be through the long way, they didn't do so well. <laughs> you can read that in Psalm 78. They, they didn't do very well with their wilderness experience. And you know what? Most of us don't do very well either. I'll be the first one to admit that. In fact, the Bible says, you read it, says they when, when they got out into the wilderness what did they do they moaned and they belly ached and they griped and they complained and in fact the bible says they did that so much that the bible actually says that they wearied god wow i find that very enlightening what it, what does that mean it means they got on god's nerve because they fussed and they cry, griped, and complained about every. The God who is long-suffering said, You're wearing me out. <laughs> That's pretty much what he said. You're wearing me out. They get out there and they see, they see the Dead Sea and the enemy coming up from behind, and what did they do? Oh, you brought us out here to kill us. Moses said, All right, God, you know, and, and then they go over, and, you know, then they get a couple of days down in the wilderness. My belly hurts, I'm hungry. You brought us out here to kill us. Look back there. We okay, God. And what did He do? He sent them manna. Then they got thirsty. He sent them water. And they said, "You know, I'm I'm getting tired of this manna." Little did they realize that was the that was the genesis of little manna shops dotted all over this country called Krispy Kreme donuts. (laughs) That's what they are. They're manna shops. And they got tired of it. And so they said, you know what? We just want meat. So what does he do? He said, okay. The east wind comes, blows in a bunch of quail. And they get, how many ways can you cook chicken? Yeah, but after a while, don't you get tired of chicken? So their meal was chicken and bread, chicken and bread, chicken and bread and water. And they get tired of it. And they fuss and they gripe and they complain. And God's like, you people are getting on my last nerve. Verse 19 of Psalm 78, you can see the smugness in their attitude. They ask a question, and here's the question. Can God set a table in the wilderness? You know what they were asking? What they were doing, they were questioning God's providential care and His power. Can, Can God really take care of me in this desolate, desperate place? And don't we do the same thing? I told them this morning, I was preaching myself under conviction. Because I go through the ringer, I've been through the ringer a lot, and I I do the same thing. God, can you do anything about this? Can you help me, God? I'm, I'm tired of the same thing over and over and over again. Can you do something in my desperate situation? And we ask the same thing, just like them. Just like them. A table speaks of provision, and it speaks of fellowship. You know, David writes in Psalm 23, he said that, God prepares a table for us where? In the presence of our enemies. I mean, think about it, in a place of conflict and chaos, God says, come on over here and sit down and have a meal with me. Speaks of that peace in the midst of storms, that calmness when everything in us says we ought to be running around with chicken little syndrome, the sky's falling. You know, there's an old hymn of the church that says, come and dying. <laughs> They're asking God, can you do that? Can you do that? How boring it must have been for them to get to that point where the God who, I mean, think about it. They're accusing God, ah, you just brought us out here to kill us. Well, wait a minute. He's the same God who sent 10 plagues against your enemy to get you out, and now you're saying he brought you out here to kill you? Why didn't he just kill you while you were there? Why waste all that energy? It happens when you and I get frustrated. It happens in the in-between time, when we have a promise that burns in our, in our spirit, but the manifestation is still in the distance somewhere, and we're in that process of learning. Uh, again, it's prepared for us, but we're not prepared. And so God starts preparing us to have it, and we start doing what they did. We fuss. How long? How long? It's like your kid asking, when are, are we there yet? As soon as they get around the block, are we there yet? That's what we do God. God sets us out on a journey to our promise, and we don't get too far down the road, and we're like, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's like, wait a minute. We haven't even left the driveway yet. We've still got a ways to go. It's a necessary place. They doubted that the same God who led them through the Red Sea and delivered them from Pharaoh's power who had set them free from bondage, protected them from the plagues, led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, gave them water from a rock and rain, that rain bread and, and, and ducks flew in and landed and they could grab them and cook them. And they doubted that God could take them into the promised land. See, I think sometimes we're not careful. We do the same thing, we cry out, God's forgotten us. and see, we forget that last week, We had a rebate check come in that we didn't even know we had filed that helped pay a bill that came unexpectedly. We don't remember that two weeks ago we sat in a restaurant and somebody, we got up to pay and somebody had already gone ahead of us and paid our ticket for us. You you see what's happening is in that that waiting window, we become frustrated with the process and we want out of the wilderness. Here's the thing I learned about the wilderness. You can't get out until you learn. It took them 40, 40 years. Please don't let that be you. It took them 40 years. I don't think when, I mean, God knows. He knows the beginning from the end. But when God set them free from Egypt, I don't think there was any intent that they would be in the wilderness for 40 years. I think God was going to get them out there in the wilderness. They were going to get the law. Okay, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. They were going to get all that. They want to learn to trust God, have faith in God. God was going to show out and show off for them. But because they belly ached and they griped and they whined about everything and they doubted and they lost faith, God said, okay, then here's the deal. Not one of you is going to step into your promise. For you, it will only be a promise undelivered because you did not believe, but to your children it will be their inheritance. And for 40 years, I had to wonder. Don't let that be you. Last one is this the wilderness, it's, it's, it's lonely, it's isolated, it's necessary, but the third thing is it's temporary. It's temporary. The wilderness is not a place to be. It's not, our, it's not where we live. It's not our place. It's a, it's a necessary place, but it's a temporary place. Because in the wilderness, you and I learn our own limitations. We come, we come face-to-face with our failures, and we wrestle with temptation. That's, that's my wilderness. I'll get in there, and I'll have a, I'll have a lapse. not a crisis of faith, but, but something will happen with Sheila. I'll get down. I'll get frustrated, because I know God with one word could speak, and she could. her body could just pop back into, into I, I you can call me a fanatic if you want to, but I believe he could do that. I've believe on a, I've always said if I was God, this is the way I'd do it. I'd have her sitting over here in her normal spot in her wheelchair, and during a, not even somebody praying for her. I'm just, during a worship service, all of a sudden we hear this little voice of a frail shell of what she used to be. All of a sudden we hear a praise coming out of her mouth and that dead arm that doesn't do anything shoots straight up to give glory, and those legs that can't hold her up anymore pop into place, and the muscles. I believe he could do that. If I was God, that's what I'd do. I'd do that. And I believe he can, but you know what? I trust him. I trust in God. Whether it's in this life or the next, her healing is coming for sure. It's not an easy place, but it's a temporary place. And every one of my wilderness moments where I go through the same, the same thing that they do, I get there and I fuss and I moan and I groan and I'm like, okay, God, you, you just need another laugh. Hit me again. Hit me again. And then I'm humbled because God doesn't give me what I deserve. He gives me grace. And I think he says, you know what, Mike? I understand you don't understand. But keep trusting me, son. Keep trusting me, son. And I do. And I show up every Sunday and I preach my heart out. And I love on people and I love on my community. And I keep doing what I know to do. My wildernesses are temporary. Temporary. Because, see, I think we have those experiences in life. We have promises. We have, we have a promise given. We have a promise received. We have in-between times that we wait and we learn. What is your wilderness this morning? Guys, come on back as I wrap this up. What is your wilderness this morning? We all have them. You know, in that wilderness all alone, seemingly forgotten, we learn to trust God. We learn to lean on others when Sheila had her stroke in 2012, this church went to bat for us. The prayers, the encouragement, I'd mentioned this in early service, the, the board at that time came to me shortly after she had her stroke, and they said, Pastor, we, we really would like for you to take a sabbatical so that you can deal with all that you're going through. A sabbatical, taking some time off just to, just to stay there with her, and, and my answer to her was, uh, to them was No. I'm not not going to take time off, I said, because the church needs to see me hurt. They need to see me cry. In fact, probably for three months, every service, I cried through every bit of it. I preached and I break down like I did this morning. I did it every Sunday. And I said, the thing is, people need to see me hurting too, because I'm not different. They need to see me struggle, and they need to see God work in me through my wilderness. And that's what I did. What I'm saying is that what, if you're in the wilderness right now, it's a temporary place. And the quicker you, and I really believe, the, had, had they not rebelled against God, again, this is it's obviously speculation, but had they not rebelled against God, had they fully embraced their wilderness experience, I don't believe they would have been there 40 years. I believe God would have led them right on, they would receive the law, he would have taken them through. They would have learned to trust Him and rely on Him and then they would have got right in and taken the promised land. What happened was they got out in the middle of the wilderness and they started doubting God. They started running their mouth and God said, you know what, I'm done. You can't have it. It'll go to your, your children. What is your wilderness this morning? It could be, again, it's going to vary depending on us. It could be a, very, it could be a difficult person. You know, there are some people that just absolutely push your buttons. Maybe that's your wilderness. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one, a spouse, maybe, maybe you're in a failed marriage or maybe you're having health issues. Maybe it's a person that did you wrong, a friend that betrayed you, a husband that left you. Maybe it's something like that. That's your wilderness. And you're there and you feel the gripping loneliness and isolation. And you ask the question, they ask in Psalm 78, 19, and your question is, God, can you meet me in my desolation? And the answer is absolutely. He meets us in those places where we feel abandoned and forgotten, and He says this, He said, you know what, I'll spread a table before you (laughs) in your wilderness. Again, that table represents the provision and the fellowship with Him. And he says, you know what? I'll come to you in your wilderness. I'll come to you. I've been there. I've been to the Negev. My first trip to Israel back in 2012, actually, I was with an archaeologist. We went down south to Elat, which is in southern Israel, down past the Dead Sea. And and I'll tell you what, the Negev down there, it's forever a wilderness. Dirty, hot, the terrain looks the same no matter how far you go and how far you look. But God said, "You know what? I'll show up there." The thing about the wilderness is that everybody says that wilderness is a place where everything's dead. It's not true. There is a lot of life in the wilderness if you know where to look. And so we'd be we were riding a camel one time, and we're 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 out there riding this camel, and, and again it's desolate. It looks lonely. It's dry. It's parched like Melba toast. I mean, it's just it's just bad. You got you. It's dusty. You've you got mask on to keep you from breathing in all that dust. You come around the corner and there's an oasis <laughs> right in the middle of the desert. And you'll see green patches and, and trees and they, it really does exist. And it's a place of refreshing. God says, look, in your place of des- desolation, in your place of isolation and loneliness, I'll set up an oasis. I'll give you nourishment. I'll help you to get you in between times because the destiny is still ahead. And I I just want to close this morning. Can God set a table in the wilderness? Absolutely. And He'll do it for you. So this morning, you just got to let it go. You can't keep walking into the future like this. The Bible says, this one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind, I press toward the mark. There's a promise. And if you're holding on to that promise, and you haven't realized it yet. You're in between, and that promise is there. It's it's waiting on you. Now be faithful until it comes to fruition. Don't you stand with me this morning? Are you in a wilderness this morning? Are you in a place of in-between right now? You have a dream? You have a promise that God gave you years ago? But it hasn't come, become a reality yet. Remember, sometimes we think things ought to happen overnight, but God says, no, there's a process. It's ready for you, but you've got to be ready for it because, if listen, if you go ill-prepared into a promise, it will undo you. It'll mess you up. I've had people that have come to this church said God sent them there here to help us, but if they didn't get a position within a a certain amount of time, they were out the door. I've seen it happen for 30 years. It's because they had a promise of what God wanted them to do, but they didn't have the patience for Him to develop them to do what He wanted them to do. Does that make sense? God has, something for, God has a destiny for each of us. And that destiny will be realized if we learn how to let go of some things. Attitudes, behaviors, those things that steal ensnare us, shackle us. See, the, the, the future is not back there, it's up ahead of us. And we adjust ourselves to what he's doing today. We catch the wind today. Because the wind of yesterday is already gone. Are you in the wilderness today? Are you holding on to a promise and you wonder? Listen, we hang, we we stay in the wilderness, and again, I think there's a, a direct correlation to how long we stay in the wilderness to the point of, to to tied to how willing we are to trust God. I really believe that. If I'm in the wilderness, I haven't received my promises because I've not learned I've not learned the lesson I need. So if you're in the wilderness, hang on, learn. Because what God's got ahead of you is more than you can handle at this point. So his delay is really a blessing so that you're equipped to handle it. So as we sing this morning, I just want to ask, if you're here today and maybe you're struggling, you say, you know Pastor, this really spoke to me because I'm in the wilderness and I, I wonder why God didn't open the door that I thought he was going to open. Maybe it was a door for ministry, maybe it was a door for reconciliation, maybe it was a door for whatever it is. I was wondering why, you know, God gave it to me, I felt it in my spirit, I really grabbed hold of it, but I just didn't see it become a reality, and maybe, I thought maybe I was just, had a bad dream. But now I understand, I haven't learned yet, and so the inheritance is not mine, but I'm ready for God to teach me. So while we sing this morning, if that fits you today, you're in the wilderness, you're struggling, why don't you just come and reaffirm to God, God, I know you've got got it out there. My destiny is in your hands. Now help me trust you every step of the way. Help me in my wilderness to learn the lessons that you sent me there to learn. So while they sing, would you come and would you just consecrate yourself today to him?
1: Now I draw a boundary Against every weapon that's formed The thief and his plans will pass over When he sees the red on the door I plead the blood I plead the blood of Jesus I plead the blood I plead the blood of Jesus the enemy can't take my family cause this old to the lord so i'm not afraid to remind him he has no claim in this war i plead the blood i plead the blood of jesus i plead the blood
2: it's my defense I claim...
1: the blood, nothing good that I have done, nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood, I
2: can't
0: that song says. It says it's more than enough. More than enough. How many believe it's more than enough? If you're online this morning, I want to challenge you. If you're in the wilderness, hang on. Because God has something for you. Amen? Father, today, if you still need prayer, I, 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 I'm going to stop there. If you still need prayer, we'll pray with you today. Father, today we thank you. Lord, may we learn the lessons of the wilderness. May we learn that the wilderness is intentional. It's on purpose. That you don't send us out there to destroy us. You don't send us to the wilderness to demoralize us or frustrate us, but to teach us. Father, help us to embrace our wilderness moments so that we might learn that what awaits us is so grand and so spectacular that I have not seen, you have not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what you've prepared for those who love you. Lord, help us to hang on, to understand that delays are not denials. Lord, that you've prepared a way. Father, help us to embrace those moments and learn our lessons so that we can move through the wilderness, learn our lessons, and inherit the promise. Father, I pray the same thing for this body of believers, Bethel. Lord, help us to embrace those moments of wilderness that we've gone through during, the, uh, during my time and even before. To recognize that it's a, prep- a preparation for that which is yet ahead of us. So, Father, we today turn our heads and fix our eyes on that which is ahead and not what is behind. And we let go. We let go of those things that have encumbered us And enslaved us we let go of mistakes and failures and disappointments and betrayals and we fix our eyes on that which is yet ahead and we trust you to let it unfurl day by day go with us today give us a great day I pray keep us safe and Lord let revival start in our hearts and in our lives I love and bless each one now in Jesus mighty name And we all said amen Amen. thanks for being with us online I look forward to seeing you next time God bless you and I love you very much